What's the process for you to go from one character to another? How do you personally make the transition and still be a you know a person who can come home and be Nick Cage? I've had a lot of people ask me, why do I work as much as I do? And the reason is I like to be active. I, I am an actor with the underline of act. I want to I want to act. I want to be active in my life and the things I want to uh, uh, help out with. And I want to be active in my work. I'm into creating. I feel I've only got so much time uh, in this physicality, and I want to take advantage of it as much as I can and be productive. I've been doing it for 25 years now and I've learned how to compartmentalize. It's no longer necessary for me to 100% live the part uh, as I used to do when I was 17 with heroes like Robert De Niro who you would hear these stories were method actors. You take some element, some sense of that, but you don't, I don't feel I, I need to do that. So I've been able to multitask and think about other characters while working on other characters by going into that compartment. So it's just a matter of literally saying, okay, now I'm going into Wicker Man compartment, and then I'm going home and I'm learning the accent for World Trade Center, so that's that compartment. And you, it's just about being very quick about shutting things on and shutting things off. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There's nothing to fear except God. You're listening to a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. And welcome back to your favorite podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago. But he said he needed to go harvest some honey. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be back. Sister Lackey. In the meantime, allow me to welcome you listeners back into our current series, a series voted on by our patrons. Yes, if you are a patron, you get to vote on what we discuss. And this series, culminating in this conversation, has been featuring the man, the myth, that Arizona Razor himself, Mr. Nicholas Cage. Last week, we stared way too hard into the abyss with color out of space and this week we'll be reminded of our allergy to bees with 2006's wicker man remake but before we get there let me remind you lest you have forgotten that here at the fear of god we explore we don't explain except for right now when i explain that you can find every fog and fear of god thing imaginable at the fear of god podcast.com things like how to support us on Patreon, where you get the added benefit of participating in digital uh, meetups and things like the Foggies and voting on our series, as well as essays, team bios, episode archives, merchandise. Read! Hey, buddy. Uh, hey. 
Not the reed. Not the reed. Not the reed. Not the reed. Oh, anything but the reed. It's in my eyes. It's in my ears. Oh. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, man. I know you are um, excited to get to this movie conversation today. Yeah. So is there any specific business that we need to alert well, the listeners to? This concludes one series we're doing. Mm-hmm. So now might be the appropriate time. We'll mention it again at the end of the episode, but to mention the next series that we're doing, which was also voted on by the patrons. So um, all this year, we're doing series that are selected by the patrons, and they're also influencing the actual individual entries of the series that they choose. So we give them a plethora of ideas and say, hey, do you want this? Do you want this? Do you want this? And they vote on what excites them the most. And this most recent round, they said they wanted to see us cover some scary animated films. So I'm very excited about this. This is going to be kind of cool. Now, New um, series. It's a brand new series. So starting next week. So this concludes, today's episode concludes the Nicolas Cage series that we've been doing. Nicolas Cage, I'm sure, will make his way back to the fog at some point in some form. Um, but this will conclude the current Nicolas Cage series. And then starting next week, we will be making our way through a sequence of scary animated films. Now, some of those scary animated films are going to be maybe a little kid friendly, like something that would still be kind of accessible to, to childhood sensibilities. Some of them are definitively not. So uh, we'll give more about what those films are going to be uh, in the next couple of weeks, obviously. But yes, next week, we are going to be starting a series of scary animated films. I think the biggest thing that listeners should probably get ready for is that part of that, we are also going to be doing a TV guideposts of the first two seasons. It's a long series, so we're only covering the first two seasons of Netflix's animated series, Castlevania. So I'm very excited about that, and I'm excited to get into all of that. I'm excited to get into some scary animated films, and uh, yeah, it's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, Speaking of things to look forward to, Riri, Mm -hmm. not too far out at this point, we're going to be having our very first 2022 Quarterly King, where we shall be covering the Firestarter, apparently one of King's masterpieces, according to the... (laughs) advertising uh campaign for the new film sure and sure. uh we'll be we'll be looking at the book we'll be looking at the old film we'll be looking at the new film you know That's right you know we'll just we'll be doing that stuff we'll see so, how all of that goes yes yeah yeah sometime likely mid-may you will be uh uh offered our latest quarterly king so if you want to be super ready for that uh browse through and or read Firestarter. um indeed so it's been referenced more than once Mm. Reed, I don't know that anytime soon we will relent in reminding listeners that this year we have started a Patreon. You get plenty of benefits attached to that uh, at the uppermost tier, a lovely bit of new swag designed by Jacob Hunt, our illustrious illustrator, Um, a redesigned It's Alive art on a T-shirt. So that's really awesome. But even at its most entry level tier, you get to vote this year on the series we cover and the more or less the episodes within those series that we cover. That's so exactly that's an right. exciting reason to join Patreon in addition to just supporting what we do here at the show, which we uh, really another appreciate. exciting. 
yeah, another exciting uh, reason to join Patreon is you get exclusive segments inside of episodes, such as what mm-hmm. we're about to do. Read, we've we've been talking about the legend, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. The man. we're about to we're about to. Uh, uh, I can't remember if this is a listicle or not. I'm sure you'll remind me in a second, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we Consider are going to be okay we'll be doing that we're gonna have the listicle join us for a rundown of some of mr cage's finest work that we have not discussed uh thus far so oh very no very specifically because yeah. you got to get more specific than that we're not just okay, ranking nick cage films we are going to be ranking the greatest all-time nick cage rage freakouts in his career so that is what the top five Nick Cage rage freakouts in his career. So thus far, because I'm sure he's I mean, got more in the tank. With with uh with that kind of tease to the patron mobile. <laughs> all right well read let's <laughs> talk about this movie <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna do huh? man <laughs> <laughs> you know what's funny is uh the last day or so i didn't watch a ton but i've watched a couple of other clips and i did go back and watch what i've referenced a couple times on this tiny elvis have you ever actually seen tiny elvis I don't think I have, actually. Okay. No. So, it is wildly stupid. <laughs> like, in a, a bit of a, it'll make you dumber kind of way. <laughs> but it's one of those uh, that is funny after you've watched it. And you're like, oh, oh that was, okay. that's not funny, but it's funny, kind of funnies. Got you it. Know? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. maybe check out Tony Elvis from Saturday Night Live. One of my favorite Saturday Night Live bits that, that he did, and I don't remember all of the context, but... I remember he's an expectant father in a waiting room and it's on a Saturday night live bit fairly certain because I don't think he ever did like an episode of mad TV or anything. I think it's probably from the same Saturday night live episode as tiny Elvis, but I've only seen this clip and he's an expected father in a waiting room and he's trying to go over baby names for boys Mm -hmm. and he's sitting there and I think he's talking with Rob Schreider. I think that's, uh, Rob Schneider. Yes. Schneider. I said Schreider. But yep. yes, I was getting mixed up with Roy Schneider. Not, yeah. So Rob Schneider. And they're discussing baby names. And, uh, Leif and Schreiber. I, I, <laughs> and I know that Rob Schneider is in the clip, but I can't remember exactly what role he's playing. But the point is, he's going over baby names, and somebody's like, well, what about John? And he's like, oh, John, you got to go to the John. What's up, John? Johnny boy. And then there's something that's like, okay, all right, well, the, you know, John's a fairly innocuous name, whatever. And he's like, well, well, what about Bob? Hey, Bob, Bobby boy, Bobby boy. <laughs> you know, like, he just goes off on all of these very acceptable, very common names, right? And then at one point, they, uh, the person who's talking with him says, why is this so important? He's like, the name has to be perfect. It has to be perfect. And so he's like, why is this such a big deal to you? Like, why, why is this so important? And then that's when the attending doctor comes in and he's like, yeah, I'm looking for a Mr. Uh, Asswipe. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and then that's funny. But then Nicolas Cage looks at him very frustrated and goes, it's Oswipe. And, yeah. <laughs> and I thought that was the funniest thing. It's 
It's great. It's great. That's grand. So, so we're bringing we're bringing it home, Reed. We are. We're bringing it to Summer's Isle. This was a. This felt like an appropriate way to finish this series because you and I have batted around for a bit the idea of a Redux series, and maybe we'll get to a mm. formal one at mm-hmm. some point. And while this doesn't meet that to the letter, it's at least in the spirit of it, a Redux series sure. being what if we revisited movies we've already covered. So this is the f- now we did let me in did we also do let the right we did both no of- we have only no we've never done let the right one in we covered okay. so we have right. covered many remakes without covering the original correct but this is the first time we've covered the original and second the time um, okay the the first time we did was suspiria 77 and suspiria 2018 yes so, no we didn't cover them in this separate is episodes. the first time there are two unique episodes that the is fear correct. Of God. Yes. There we are. Yes. That I is knew correct. somehow yes. I was going to find something. Unique. <laughs> um, so uh, we thought it appropriate to, uh, uh, to land the plane here. Uh, uh, you perhaps kicking and screaming. Um, <laughs> oh God kicking and screaming. But I did want to. Now, I, I want you to say whatever you want. I've, I've got some. I read an interview today with Neil Labute, mm. who wrote and directed this. Uh, iteration of Wicker Man. Okay. But I want, if you had some more broad cage notes you want to throw in, because this is more specific to Wicker Man. To Wicker Man? Oh. Cage. Yeah. So, so something that um, I mentioned this briefly on the patron segment, but I'll mention it again in more detail here. Um, with the recent, as of this recording, release of Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, Cage has been doing the press circuit. He's been doing a lot of interviews and the, 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 clips and comments not only from cage about his own work but also about people who worked with him in unbearable weight of massive talent there was one article i read that i think was in the new york times and i thought this was so fantastic one of his co-stars and and i apologize i forget which co-star of his said this said that when they joined a zoom table read so they all joined the the Zoom because I guess they were, you know, preparing for pre-production during the pandemic. So they joined a table read that was all over Zoom. And they said the moment Cage came visible on Zoom, he was decked out in like a big pink jacket, had sunglasses, like looked very, okay, this is the persona, this is the exaggeration, this is whatever. And his co-star was expressing that at first they kind of were like, okay, I'm just <laughs> tone it down a little bit there, guy. But then they said as they went through the read, he had memorized all of his lines. He had already done the homework, done the script. And this person, again, I, I regret that I don't remember which of his co-stars said this. This person said that he had done all of the work and it was one of the most professional things that she had ever seen. That it was just, it, it was remarkable how much how seriously he took this whole process. And then Pedro Pascal had also said about working with him on that film, he was like, he's a remarkably thoughtful actor. He's a great scene partner. He, he wasn't, you know, on set flashing around everything. He's got a good sense of humor about himself. And then it's great to listen to Cage himself talk about his work because he had a ton of just video on demand releases. And the reason he did all that, which is pretty widely known now is because he had a somewhat, ex- well, I say somewhat, he had an extravagant lifestyle with an extravagant spending habit. I think he bought like an island or something. Like he, he spent a ton of money and expended exorbitantly. 
and then he wasn't up to date with his taxes. And so he owed the IRS like a ton of money. And he had a tremendous amount of debt. And so he really did have to just take whatever they threw at him. He, he started a path in his career where he's like, I will accept every offer. And so he was making five and six films a year. I will accept every single offer that comes my way. Just let me, let me work. Let me work to pay off the debts. But then when you hear him talk about it, he's like, look, I did a lot of films that don't really work. He said, but I never phoned it in. He said, I made sure with everything that I did, I had something I could at least be proud of that, that I tried. And this was the part that endeared me to him the most. He said, all of that time that I was working in some films that maybe didn't work very well or people kind of tend to dismiss, I was actively trying to get better as an actor. And he said, I feel like I've done the best work of my career in the last five to 10 years. I said, the last 10 years of my career have been stronger work from me than the first 30. And I was like, wow, here's a guy who it seems like people actually enjoy working with, at least recently, and doesn't take himself too seriously. He's not too precious about it. But then at the same time, actually seems to love his craft. And the whole thing was just really endearing. It was very much like, oh my gosh, this is, yeah, it's just, I just like the well, guy. That that feels like a decent uh, moment for me to pick up the baton here. And for listeners, if you're like, this is they're going to get to unbearable weight of massive talent. Um, sadly, no. <laughs> if we had <laughs> scheduled things a little better and known that was on the horizon and, and coming out, it's just an ironic and fortuitous miss schedule uh to to not have incorporated that into this it'd be fun to get to it at some point and perhaps we will do that but sure. no we will we will not in this run be covering massive talent <laughs> we didn't know it was coming out before we started and schedules and times and blah 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 um but uh as mentioned uh, affirming a lot of what you just said mm. this article this interview is i think from like 2017 or so um from the new Bev.com BEV Beverly cinema. And they're interviewing Neil Labute about one of his pieces then and, and incorporated in this interview is reflecting on wicker man and its reception, uh, and cage in it. And there's a lot about the film itself. And, and again, maybe I'll link to this when the time comes for this episode to release, but specifically of cage, he says, he's as good as any other actor I've worked with in terms of understanding a scene. And Neil Labute for anyone who doesn't know is a big theater name too. Does a lot of, producing in that mm. world and so isn't just you know some young buck kind of guy uh as good as any other actor i've worked with in terms of understanding a scene and being able to give you what you want what he was always great about was giving you an alternative you know he's really studied the thing which comes back to your point about yeah. the table read yeah he doesn't just come in and say where do you want me and okay that's great i'll go back to my trailer now probably more than myself even he sometimes would come halfway through the day when we were going in one direction he'd say i've got an idea this is a guy who was constantly thinking, how can we set the bar even higher? Uh, and what weird stuff can we do? And was willing <laughs> to do both versions of those so that we had them. He was never somebody who came on and went through the paces. Um, not like I plan to buy an island with this. <laughs> I mean, he probably did buy an island, Neil Labute says, but he also was there to do the work. He was fascinating to watch work. He instinctively knew when something was funny or when something needed to be more serious or modulated. I'm going to give you one way up here, he'd say, and one way down here. Uh, Labute finishes off. If I went back to put a compilation together, it would still surprise people with how many other versions he could play in some of those scenes. Wow. Anyway, just just a fun kind of reflection on his his work ethic and all that sort of stuff. And and yeah, I mean, I, I think 
wherever our conversation leads, notwithstanding, I've uh, become more of an appreciator through our run, to be sure. Absolutely. You know what it reminds me of is it reminds what? me, we're, we're not talking about him in this episode, but it reminds me of what I've heard said about Paul Giamatti. And they've said Paul Giamatti is one of those actors who he just loves acting. You can tell in his performances that he is just having a ball. He's doing what he loves doing, and he just loves acting. And I don't know if it's a one-for-one comparison, but I've come to realize in some of, you know, I hadn't read the interview that you read, but I did stumble across a couple of others. And I'm like, Nicolas Cage just loves what he does. He just, he, he loves what he does and takes it seriously. And there's something profoundly inspiring about that. Well, and, and even as now I do think there's variations on this, but even as something as wild as that vampire's kiss scene is, it's, it's very theatrical. It's mm-hmm. very big. Mm-hmm. It's very non-naturalistic, uh, which a lot of film work tends to be. And it does harken back to your multiple times now references of Keith's commentary on Cage yeah. that, you know, uh, if, you're, if you're always good, you're never great kind of thing. And so right. the, the right. risks he takes aren't because, quote unquote, he's a risky actor. He just loves trying things. And so yeah. that's, that's pretty laudable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Speaking of trying things, should we try to get these ladies out of this car (laughs) on the side of the road, Reed? No, don't try to do that. Let them burn. Wow. That's (laughs) cold. Whoa. (laughs) No, it's very hot because they're on fire. It's got um, dark. Oh, I'm on fire. (laughs) Super dark, bro. So um, this film, I uh, unfortunately was actually slightly excited to revisit it. Because I remember watching it some number of years back, and at least according to my memory of it, I had given it like one and a half stars. And, and I was like, okay, this clearly I hated this film. But I was like, oh, you know what? Uh, this is a good opportunity to reassess it. Uh, I didn't have the fondness for Nicolas Cage when I watched it that I do now. So let me check it out. Let me, let me come into it with an open mind. Let me see. And this movie is garbage. This movie is okay, pause. terrible. Can we terrible. press pause right there? Sure. Sure. Because I'm not planning to end this conversation turning you around. Okay. But I do think there's a big conversation worth having. Let's let's okay. do this. So if you've seen the original Wicker Man, this one isn't too dissimilar. In fact, I read something today that 80% of the dialogue from this is actually the same. You know, <laughs> straight from the original script, which is wild. Um, they just removed so, all the context. Uh, uh, yes. In, in, in this scenario, uh, 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 Edward Mullis, I think is his name, Nicholas Cage's character is a cop, uh, yeah. witnesses this horrific death, uh, is experiencing some PTSD, goes because he gets summoned by an ex-lava uh, <laughs> to her home island of summer's isle uh where shenanigans ensue that that culminate in him being stuck in the wicker man and burned alive so which is very (laughs) much templated off the original film uh let's do this let's jump into that ain't rights and then have because i because that ain't right is very didactic it's very beats from the film and then we're gonna have a conversation about the movie okay that'll work Sure as hell ain't right. All right. So. It ain't. This is. <laughs> this, is this is a movie. This is a movie. That's That can be said as a true statement. 
This is a movie. This is a movie. Um, it is a feature film. Do you have any legitimate that it writes, or were they just all? No, like- I did. I, look, uh, I I did write. I did write down um, the pilot reveal. Stumbling upon the pilot, I was like, "Yeah, that's gruesome. That's pretty. That's pretty gruesome." When his like his eyes have been towards all, the end, yeah, is that, towards yeah. the end, yeah. When he when he discovers the body of the pilot, because the you know, right. and I and I went back to the man like, "Oh, he'll need a good talking to," and I'm like, "Well, he's been talked to." So uh, yeah, I, I I wrote that down as a as as a genuine. You know, uh, non side of my mouth. That ain't right. Yeah, that was pretty. That was pretty gruesome. Um, my only like legit, you know, in our at least in our traditional version of that ain't right that I would throw here is when he's on the ferry, sees the girl on the <laughs> at, outside on the rail, and, and and envisions the truck hitting her while on the ferry. I was like, whoa, <laughs> did not see that yeah. coming. So yeah. you know, that was that ain't right. Now. <laughs> I'm going to do this. Okay? okay. So this is a, this is like a sequence of that ain't right. Partly because of their comic nature is, okay. is my man just like he decks sister beach. <laughs> he like Neo matrixes Lily Sobieski. Oh, and then my God. he like Will Smith's in a bear suit. That girl. Yeah. At what's her face. Just pal. <laughs> like just man. <laughs> <is> just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Slap. What what five bare fingers say to the face? Slap! Oh my gosh! Uh, so yeah, wow. um, Yogi you know, no. there's dream within a dream. <laughs> How funny is that random ass uh, dive he does off? The- <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's like he spins in midair. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I kind of loved that. Well, <laughs> I was then, like, yeah, oh, but then he then okay. he gets in there. He's That's- like impressive exactly but then he gets out there he th- he thinks he's woken up and then he looks down and she's like in his arms and he's like oh yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. oh my god it's oh so you just drowned in my arms tonight wow. um wow all right you want to go out of that right sure that sure as hell ain't right okay read <laughs> <laughs> so, I am looking forward and I say I this in, in utmost sincerity to hear your take on this film I was mad I was sitting there watching I was like why in the world did I waste my time with this movie I've got a suspicion why that is okay you're probably so right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when you say that <laughs> one say of it my again. favorite say it again. sentences in the world we're from anybody it, we're, we're gonna put it on loop so this is a question that brushes up against that bumps up against my potential supposition of why you okay. have hold such disdain and hear me. I am actually not here to argue. This is a quality film. That's, sure. that's not no, no, what no. I'm here to argue. I, I can appreciate um, that. Yeah. But I, I did, you know what homework I did read lacking? What homework you do? I went and listened to our conversation about the OG wicker man <gasps> with all the, with all the Ghibli bits. I haven't heard dancing. that in a long time. The, da- yeah, the naked people dancing yeah. around the make pole. It's a good one. The ejaculation um, of serpents. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What's hilarious is I wouldn't have remembered that. It's impressive that you do. Um, or troubling. Um, so, Take a pick. so the question to pose to you uh, is what is the difference between a movie not being very good and being actively bad? Now, mm, okay. the spirit of this Fair is this bad because it is actively bad or because it's considered against the original. Does that, that make is, sense? 
That is a fair consideration. And there are some critiques I would make of this film that are directly related to the original and directly related to my understanding of the original. So one of the critiques I would make is that the film, this rendition of The Wicker Man, and this is in direct contrast to the original, this film, The, the, the Wicker Man, lacks all philosophical and ideological conviction. No character, except for maybe um, Lady Summer's Isle, played by Ellen Burstyn, maybe her in her philosophy of um, matriarchal society, and, 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 and it kind of scratches at an ideological concept, but most especially in the character Nick Cage plays, there's just, there's just no perspective. He just does things. He just wanders through and does things. Now, I was very frustrated and upset by that because one of my favorite things, one of my favorite elements of the original is the way everything is rooted in a clash of deeply rooted ideologies. And it takes, you know, conflicting and and contrasting perspectives very seriously, puts them in narrative combat with one another, and then extends the characters and the occurrences from that, which I think is very rich storytelling. So when you compare that next to this remake, yes, that all falls apart. That part, I would just say, yeah, it's it's not good compared to the original. But there's a few things, filmmaking things, that I think are actively bad about this one. Main one is every eventual occurrence is telegraphed from 20 miles away. Everything. That, that happens. If I had never seen the original, I would venture to say that maybe not specifically the Wicker Man statue, but knowing where this was all headed, this is a trap, like all of that kind of stuff, is telegraphed miles and miles away. And every character, like when he walks in and talks to the owner of the inn, and, and she's just like, she is playing. Can you swing that? <laughs> she is, yes, exactly. She, she is playing everything to the nines, everything's to the backs, to the to the cheap seats. Um, every character in this film is doing that, and except for, ironically, uh, in the first half of the film, Nicolas Cage, who's playing it much more realistic and and seems like it's a lot more subdued, at least in the takes in the first half of the film. Um, but everybody else, I'm just like, everybody on this island is just like, all right, ladies and gentlemen, to evil. Like they just they just running around doing. How did wicked- it burn? How did it burn? How did it burn? <laughs> it's just, oh my god! It's so so that is actively bad. And then they also abandon intention mid scene. My favorite example of this is when he stops the bicycle to help the man load one log onto the pile, but then rides away when he accidentally tumbles half the log <laughs> pile back on down. He's like, I'm going to let you get that. I'm going to go. He offered to help with one of them. It's like a very Pee Wee Herman much. move on the it's, bike. And then he's just like, okay, I'm just going to ride away. Like everything has such, you know, no follow through at all. And that's actively bad. Hmm. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. 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 No context I- slurps there. <laughs> you are not wrong Here's, so i will here what hmm uh, j- just to close my piece off i you're not wrong that a lot of my antagonism towards the film is rooted in my rabid affection for the original that having been said i've seen terrible remakes before that i don't loathe as much as i loathe this one so i think it just i think it sure. just depends. well 
here here's um, the undoubtedly the original is classier uh it looks better it's got a more unique aesthetic and style and sort of swagger to it it's almost like the world of the island folk in the original are the Nicolas Cage to the more subdued lead character, right? Yeah. Whereas we're, we're, this, you're stu- you're sort of anticipating, um, <laughs> you know, him to do his ABCs. Um, <laughs> here's what's just fascinating is mm-hmm. I don't think it is a quote unquote quality film. I do think it's well intended and actually has some interesting things it is trying to do, however poorly or not. Hmm. Um, And so that's what makes me a little sympathetic to it, which hear me. There's a part of me that was worried. You'd be like, Nathan, you're just trying to be indignant and and Mm, contrary. I'm actually not. I was ready uh, the bar was low based on your discussion of it previous yeah. to my watching it. This is the first yeah. time I'd seen it. Mm-hmm. So the bar was pretty low. So, so, you know, that bears mentioning, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't mind it as a movie. Uh, you know, it's, it's semi popcorn. It's a little confused tonally. Um, mm-hmm. but to your point, I kind of liked his performance. I did. Uh, that I did. Surprised, yeah. That surprised me a little bit, not because I, plan to dislike him but i was ready for something entirely throwaway um labute in this interview again and reflecting on the film he basically says we intended a dark comedy and i don't think the studio understood that Hmm. and there was Hmm. effectively too many cooks in the kitchen kind of thing that just butchered it up um but that he and cage that was how they were approaching the material yeah um was something uh, kind of black comic. Um, and I don't know how long we'll spend here, but what I found interesting, and again, I just listened to us today. So I have the benefit of that and, and, and an extra piece of information that you might not recall some of the nuance of our conversation, but you are a big fan of the original film. And so this won't be surprising. The original film has very actively on its mind to your point, this religious philosophical, dialogue yeah yeah. um and i would encourage listeners to go either a watch the original or b listen to our conversation or c both um because it's a pretty good look at it so if we're taking if we're assuming a sort of lesser result in this new film this remake you know let's let's go there but uh, uh, even as an asterisk to that, the minute it was set in like, you know, uh, uh, the Pacific Northwest, I was like, okay, mm-hmm. you're placing this in America. Like we, we aren't known for our like high minded you know, <laughs> sort of output. And there's just something even listening to us talk about, it, there's just something about the production of the original with the, the music and the lilts yeah. and the Irish yeah. and the UK, the UK ness of it all. Yeah. Um, that very that folk horror. Yeah. 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 Sets yeah. it apart. But what I want to camp out on at least for a couple minutes and and we'll we'll take it as far as it we we can or want to is I actually did find interesting that 
the original film is about philosophical clash from a religious standpoint. I think this one, it is not religious, but it is still a belief clash hmm. of, of, of gender. And, you know, which, which the original has a sort of folk, you know, sexualized sort of fertility aspect to it. Right. But it is not actively positioned. I mean, Christopher Lee is the head of the, the, right. the, the, the goings on. So clearly summer aisle. Right. Yes. And so it just stands out to me that he is, he is a him. He is in law enforcement, which at least carries with it a presumption of power. He is completely powerless mm-hmm. as himself on this island of Karen's, if we can call it that. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And so I just found that really interesting that mm. when you, when you set it quote unquote in modern times, and when you set it in an American zeitgeist, it's less religious clash, more belief philosophy. In this case, what the makeup of society can or should look like clash. Right. Mm. And that, that is interesting. However much you think, not you read, but anyone might think this movie ably engages that, you know, that that's a bit moot to me. It's more just, this is worth a conversation. And the more, the more I sat with that dichotomy, I was like, I don't know if Reed's going to like that. I'm bringing something thoughtful to this or not. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. I, I would honestly like something that may be apparent to listeners over the course of time, um, certainly will be. I would hope would be apparent to you knowing me as long as you have is no, listen, I, I root for movies. Movies are hard to make and I do not subscribe to the belief that anybody makes a movie for it to be actively terrible. I don't, I don't believe that. I think a lot of times things can get in the way or that the intentions can be misguided or that maybe, you know, you can miss the mark in a lot of different sure, ways, Sure, but I don't think anybody actively seeks out to, I'm going to make a terrible movie and isn't going to, isn't it going to be funny that this movie is so terrible. So no, I actually d- d- greatly appreciate when somebody can say like, no, I think this is worth considering and that is worth considering. Um, I mean, I will say I would applaud, champion, even come onto the side of that perspective that you said if that does that does not necessarily seem to um, bode well in the idea of it being like a dark comedy. Like one of the things that I I had heard that comment before that they were trying to, not from that interview, but I I, I can't remember where I heard it. Maybe I saw it in one of the trivial bits or something that like they were intending to make kind of an absurdist comedy. And I was like, sure, maybe the studios didn't understand that, but I don't know even that like your editor and everything understood that because so many of the interior construction of the scenes, I will say this, I believe in many of the line deliveries that Nick Cage feels like he's in an absurdist comedy because some of his line deliveries, I know from watching pig and even from watching other films where he plays it a lot more direct, where it's like, he's able to refrain from that thing, but, but he walks in and delivers that clipped speech of, Oh, I'm here to find a girl that I was sent to find. And nobody seems to believe as exists, you know, like he's, he's clearly rattling a cadence that does seem to align with like an absurdist comedy, but it doesn't seem like anybody else is really in on it, at least from the interiors of the scene. Yeah. You know? And I think that's, and I, I, 
I think that's fair. And, and what I'm identifying is distinct things here, which is one, it's interesting mm-hmm. to me that yeah. Lemute and Cage sort of had this uh, uh, expression in mind um, mm-hmm. that maybe didn't uh, come across in the final execution. So that's, sure. that's thing one. Thing two is, to me, what's interesting about the final version of this is that the new dichotomy of not religious opposition, but but belief opposition of, of how a society can or should run. And, and to me, it was interesting that that is however intentional or not sincerely. Like, I, I don't, I don't know. Sure. If, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if they knew what they were doing in this, in me saying this, but that you take the original, which is set in a deeply historical part of the world, uh, right, right. uh, with, with lots of tendrils back, uh, uh, chronologically, and you're bringing those things to a head. Uh, in this, you're 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 pivoting, you're you're geographically shifting to a much younger society, yeah. and what you've decided, again, whether intentional or not, are sure, going to yeah, be the yeah. opposing forces. Are a conversation about gender, um, yeah. and to me, that's fascinating and interesting, especially if I'm honest, in in kind of the world moment we're living in, yeah. in, in our country, uniquely about. Because what, what's so interesting to me about this movie, and as I've kind of thought about it today, is like, you know, their 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 methods are extreme, but you know, it's like we talk about this in the original film's conversation, the the lead character letting their blindness be their downfall. Yeah. And not right. kind of realizing it. And right. so, you know, it's it's the literal honey trap in this mm. version. Um, yeah. So I just I don't know. I just I just think uh, I, I don't have a question precisely to go along with it. But that takeaway was fascinating to me that because I even while watching the film, I was like, where are all the men? Um, mm-hmm. And then you do start to see them. But it's clear. Correct me if I'm wrong, but they've effect- effectively had their tongues cut out or something. Like, yeah, am I making been, that up? No, you're not making that up. They've been they've been muted. Um, yeah, yeah and, yeah, and so I wanted, like, honestly, if that was going to be the case, and I'm this is me trying to be generous towards the film. It's like one way that you could have expressed that more is to have more of the the men are in positions of active subjugation. We get to see that like in like two scenes, I think, maybe only even one, you know, but it's populated most prominently by women. And, right. and, and, and that's, that's completely fine. But I think that doesn't deliver as strong a, a position of the thesis as women being in leadership positions where men were widely populated because that's what we have in a lot of cases in in the reverse is you know, like the patriarchal society you see women everywhere they just don't have a voice they don't have any power and to your point there are a couple of scenes where you have men who have been actively silenced and actively put to to the menial tasks um but i just don't think you see enough of that to really make that case it feels like you know when um Lady, I don't know if they call her Sister Summer's Isle or what Ellen Burstyn's character. Right, right. When she's postulating about like, oh well, you know, we, we, uh, we dispose of, you know, in whatever way, or we 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 basically do away with the weaker of the species, 
And he even interrogates that a little bit. It's like, so, so what if one of them accidentally has a boy, you know, and, and it's just kind of brushed off in that moment. It's just like, oh yeah, well, you know, we do whatever's necessary in that point. And I feel like there could have been, you know, maybe it's just a, maybe chalked up to a missed opportunity that if that is the thesis of the film, as opposed to, here's, here's a way to say what I'm saying. I will applaud your generosity towards an element that I don't think you are um, bringing to the film. I think you're bringing it from the film. However, I feel like that element in the film is merely utilitarian. It's It's merely there as like wallpaper more than anything else. I don't think it's driving anything in the actual narrative. I feel like the narrative itself is more rooted in look at this silly cop and look at the gotcha moment when he realizes that he's, um, you know, that this has all been to your words, a honey trap that has, has sort of stuck him in. Um, because it's also not clear to me how he progresses through his own motivating actions to do what he does. You know, it's like, sure. He has this woman that he was with at one point and he's going back there and, they had a daughter, and so he's like wanting to reconcile all that. But in so many of the scenes, it I just can't get a grasp on what his character is there to do or why he's there to do it. To be fair, I'm not arguing it's a smart movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I, I'm definitely not arguing that. Yeah, I yeah, am yeah. saying I do think the intention, however mm. well well delivered or not, yeah. was this is a dichotomy worth establishing. Yeah, uh, yeah, that at least is consistent all the way through uh, in its in the in the in the culminating Wicker Man sequence. Um, I don't know. I, I I would not on on any level champion this film <laughs> as either as definitively not superior to, not even equal to the original. Mm. Um, I do think it's acknowledgement of a different philosophical binary yeah uh, i.e in this case male female sort of superiority as it were is isn't nothing and is at <laughs> least kind of like okay this is i wish you had been thoughtful and smart enough to know how to engage this versus because uh, i don't disagree with you i think i think they they found their hook right yeah to yeah. distinguish the film Sure, sure. And, 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 but, but left it there, left that as, okay, well, that's our angle. Now let's let Nick be the, the, the just character bebopping through this scenario. And I Mm -hmm. don't mean to be ungenerous to, you know, people's work and livelihood attempting to make a movie, but, (laughs) uh, because again, ultimately, who knows what the better version of this was intended to be. Yeah. Um, Cage is, Cage is very proud of this film. He still he still yeah. goes on record as as he's very proud of this work. Now here's where here's where I will actively go in that direction. I'll walk in that direction with intention, and I'll stand there for a minute. Both films have one thing in common, and that is that the main character in the original is able to be fooled by the conceit because of his undiscerning religious conviction. In other words, he's trapped because he's a Christian who is not thinking outside of the box of the superiority of Christendom. Sure. Nicholas Cage in this film is able to be trapped because of his own acceptance of his, his superiority, either as a person of authority, i.e. police officer or as a man 
And that's how he's trapped in this particular scenario. And mm-hmm. so it, it's still, both films have in common the ways in which our own presumptions about ourselves, yeah, and our skills, our abilities, our our you know tenacity, our adeptness can get undermined if we're not thoughtful. And I'll use the word humble if we're not humble enough to recognize, like, hey, I, you know, I have to be careful. We talked last week at Color Out of Space about acknowledging you have a limited perspective, and I think both of these films, albeit you know. Again, I'm not trying to take a cheap shot while I'm actively trying to be um, thoughtful, but it's like, yeah, I feel like the first film, the original film, does this with profound success. I feel like the script is strong. The performances are strong. The the structure, the overall tone, like everything about that props up that message to make it really land very, very hard. Whereas in this film, yeah, I, I feel like the same sort of underpinning is at play, but albeit about a different, to your point, dichotomy, where it's like, okay, no, the the conflict here is not, because he's not a man who, uh, Cage's character in the film does not believe in, I mean, it, does, it doesn't amount to much, but when, in the alternate take, when they're, you know, breaking his legs and doing the, not the bees, not the bees. And he was like, I don't believe in your gods. You know, like he's not, it, it is not a film that is um, positing religious philosophical dichotomies. It is about the the power and authority and control that men wield. And then him feeling like, oh, I'm going to be okay because I'm a man, right? Like I'm going to be all right because I'm, because I'm a police officer and you have to obey what a police officer says and you have to believe what I'm, you have to obey what a man says and all of that kind of stuff. But doesn't, okay, but see, I'm going to do a crap job of trying to articulate this, but you just, you found the intersection I've been hunting for, which is, isn't it interesting that what in the old one, the religion was set of, traditional beliefs mm-hmm. in this one the religion and and so this is where i'm going about its its placement in an american setting isn't it interesting that that however well or not they execute right sure yeah that what was religion in an old one what's a strong enough belief set mm-hmm. that you can put in conflict and that that's what they chose. To me, that's really interesting. Again, mm. I don't know that they do justice to that, but I think it's fascinating. And I think it's interesting that in crafting a film, you clearly chose to set in America, maybe because you had Cage and it would be slightly weird for him to adopt a, a UK accent. I don't yeah, know, but yeah. you know that that's the dichotomy and not a religious one. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know doing the whole hap, ha, you know, hapless bystander wanders into a cult's jaws <laughs> is, is, is a easily reproducible story trope. I yeah, mean, like you could have done that, but mm-hmm. this is what they chose to do. I, I don't know. I'm, I don't mean to beat a dead horse per se, other than just, it's really fascinating to me. And to me, there's a conversation to be had about how in our country, external genitals are like unto godliness Mm. And thus <laughs> set at odds with not external genitals. Right. So right. that's just really fascinating to me. Uh, however accidental or not that they stumbled into that. And and we, we can move on to other uh, ideas if you, if you want to. Um, well, I, I will just think that's a really fascinating sort of thing. 
I'll, I'll yes and you with just this ongoing conversation right now. And I don't have the depth. I don't have the depth to enter into this conversation, but I'm affirming what you're scratching at and what you latched onto in at least the ideas and intention of this film. One of the reasons I'm not coming down harder on like, hey, uh, this film is uh, garbage gum that is stuck on the bottom of a trash can that has been piled on with burger wrappers and has a bunch of globs of mustard around it. The reason I'm not like hammering that in as you're expressing your thing is because I don't disagree with you that it seems to me there was an intention, at least on the director and on Cage's part, to try to do something that simply didn't work. Like, I can sympathize with that profoundly, you know? So, if, if you think something is malintended, then you can kind of beat up on it a little bit more. And, you know, sure. it's, it's ironic, you know, I, I, I can feel a little bit more freedom to, like, uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what's happening to me in this moment. I can feel a little bit of freedom punching a film like Night House or beating up on something like Ghost Rider or something like that. For some reason beating up too heavy on this film feels a little bit like punching down. It feels like, okay, this is a film widely recognized as not good. Sure. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. so yeah. to pile onto that feels right. bullish and ridiculous, which is another reason why I'm kind of toning it back. But now to get back to the yes ending that I was going to do. There is a, I don't have the depth. As soon as I say this, you're probably going to, your stomach's probably going to tighten like, oh no, I don't know what to talk about this. Um, but you know, there, there's a very real conversation happening right now about you know the the acceptance the the wider acceptance and opportunity available to uh the trans community for instance yeah, that's where you're going you knew that's where I was going and of course I don't have the depth to go into that I don't have the depth of experience I don't know enough people who occupy that space with whom I've been able to have profound conversations I simply don't in my in my nexus I just don't have enough people to provide voice and and um and to give that perspective to it um but i do think it's that's an important conversation is where i'm headed with this that's an it's an important conversation to recognize the ways in which we have certain presuppositions around persons with you know biological external genitalia and what they can and cannot do better than other individuals. And there is a tremendous avalanche of presuppositions that enter into that conversation. I was witness to, did not partake in, but I was witness to a conversation that happened on social media. You would have been proud of me. I did not partake in it. But two people were really going back and forth, and one person was presenting um, a fairly common uh, I'll, I'll call it traditional perspective of just like, well, there are certain things that just, and this is how they said it. There are certain things that men can just do better. That's th that was their, and and I think, from what I could ascertain, I think they were trying to be sensitive. I I really do think they were they were kind of trying to. They were they were kind of positioning that they were like, they're really for women, so they don't want them to be disadvantaged by these other things that are going on and. The reason I bring that conversation I observed up is because they kept getting hit with, where's your data? Like, what data do you have to support the hypothesis that you're delivering? Very scientific language, but like, where's your, 
where's your data to support this? And the short answer is, he didn't have a lot of data to support his position. It was anecdotal, and that doesn't make it you know, any less real to him, but it was anecdotal and not driven by the, the, the broader term of facts and data. And I do think, I challenge for myself in many of these ways, the presuppositions that I would bring to the table about those kinds of things, um, just, you know, preliminary conclusions that you would draw about the ways certain people for certain attributes would be better acclimated to fulfill certain roles within society. And I think it's long past time that we have some very, very real conversations about what that means and about ways in which we might have just been, you know, might have just bought the narrative instead of actually like getting to the root of the facts and the data, for lack of a better way of putting it. Well, it's it's fascinating. You didn't mean to walk into my next pillar about this film, but Kaboom! you, you, um, I just stumbled you down the hill. You you went somewhere I didn't expect. That feeds a thought I want to offer up here. Uh, uh, so kudos to you. Look at us, as Paul Rudd says in that <laughs> video. Look at look at us. Look at us. Um, here, I will say this as an asterisk. There, I, I actually really dislike the uh, mm, I'm empathetic to um, I understand the desire to see it as a, a more stable hill to stand mm. on, mm. but I actually don't love the sort of where's your data sort of thing uh, only because yeah. only because even unless you are a scientist, <laughs> <laughs> right, unless you right. are, someone who actually professionally vocationally uh, by academic experience deals in and understands how to comprehend data. Very few of us know right. how to speak out of anything, but intuition experience. Right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, uh, yeah. An anecdote. Mm-hmm. The, the, the missing piece isn't to me the, the quote unquote data. It is who do you know? It mm, is, mm, have mm. you had conversations with, it right, is, right. have you exposed yourself, have you exposed yourself to, uh, conversations from, right? Like, have you listened to right, the voices right. that aren't yours that might inform this discussion? And so Correct, right. you've, you've, again, uh, uh, kudos to you on this <laughs> because I didn't know how, how clarifying you'd make this sort of thing, but probably had a similar feeling watching the original definitely had a feeling watching this you know as much as as much as getting there is a mess the the end is always going to be troubling and and yes and yeah. and mm-hmm. wild and 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 if you're honest uh upsetting yeah and the thought that came to me there is so as edward is up there in this you like this cage um uh, <laughs> yelling yes <yeah>. sorry that's <laughs> 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 no, okay sometimes it just calls for it um pleading for his life mm-hmm. the juxtaposition there is a child igniting this thing yes and and so his child presumably yeah uh sure yeah yeah mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. um uh matters a little less than the fact that his child itself yes, but yes sure, sure. Yeah, um, yeah um is what sort of brainwashing is required to 
have us all stand on the sideline while someone is is murdered by the rules we've agreed to. Mm, right? Mm, mm-hmm. So you didn't intend to prop me up here. Yeah. But when you yeah. talk about the trans folk, when you like what I was yeah. thinking of before you invoked that is George Floyd, you know, and, oh, yeah. and as a singular mm-hmm. representation of this idea. Like, mm-hmm. what does it take? What what have we bought into? Whether it's religious superiority, uh, 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 biological superiority, what is the thing we've bought into that lets us rest watching the deaths of others? Yeah, right. And whatever we do, this is Nathan talking, whatever we do or don't understand as individuals about trans people, the operative word is people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and like, my God, you know, the, 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 the air is thick with accusation. The air is thick with condemnation. We are supposed to be the one to put the fire out. Yeah. And it does not matter who was on the receiving end of the fire. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I watch these like read. I'm about as raw, honest as I am right now. I've watched some of the news lately and been like WTF. Like mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. so powerless and I want so badly to, to not be powerless. Yeah. But, right. You know, like the, the, this, this may be a, a strong brush to paint with, but, but the circle is closing on sectors of our society. And, yeah. and, and I don't personally know any trans people, but I know a, 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 a decent enough amount of gay people yeah. who I am, who I'm in North Carolina. And in a general sense, I'm not totally worried yet, but I get it. You no. Know, yeah, I get it. Like if 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 I, point being if we're not asking the question how are we comfortable with anyone on the receiving end of incineration mm-hmm. of brutality if we're not asking ourselves how we're okay with any of that then 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 then, then we may as well in the old film be the summer aliens and the new film be the crazy Karens <laughs> who, who have through, through, through rigor and I'll apply it to our present moment through religious nationalism agreed. There are folks who rightly and justifiably are out and we yeah. don't mind that. And in fact, in a lot of cases, we applaud that because damn man, if there's anything we're supposed to be doing, it's climbing up in that freaking wicker man with him. Right. Mm-hmm. Saying, if you're going to do this guy, you take me too. Mm-hmm. And because if enough of us throw ourselves in that pit, surely, surely, maybe not some humanity is going to get through to the other side. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. Well, just... and uh, no, no, no. And, 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 and you're scratching on all of the, th- you know, the, the ways in which any one of those 
observational deaths that what 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 begins to nauseate me um more profoundly is the way very very subtly sometimes those deaths can be in the mouths of people to those people justified oh well you know uh don't do this uh, right. Uh, well, or they were the uh, you know I, I'm I'm resisting using this word because of how offensive this language is, but uh, well, they were asking for it, doing X Y Z. You know, it's like the ways in which people can so quickly and glibly justify the deaths, and worse than that, yes, justify them because they believe that the eradication of that is as is the philosophy in both Wicker Men. The eradication of that is going to be for the betterment of everybody. Yes. The honey will come back. The apples will return in the original. You know, that if we, if we allow them to be consumed up and, you know, hey, if we light the torch ourselves and help it along the way, then that will be to the, be- the, the benefit, the betterment of our society. And you are right. When people begin to believe that the death and destruction is going to be for the better, that's, you're lost. Like, you're lost. It, it, it reminds me of phrasing we used years ago at this point, but, but the acceptable loss. Like, right, we write right. it off and we say, well, at least it's not me. Um, a yeah. random anecdote, I, to probably my detriment, every now and then I will... Uh, uh, metaphorically peek over the wall, um, you know, mm. kind of investigate a little bit. Okay. We, you know, kick. folks whom uh, I, I would in a general sense have strong disagreement with, like, like what, what is, what are they thinking about or, or, or saying? Mm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I probably an error, definitely an error. Uh, someone who fits that stripe. I, I was looking at their social media recently, again, stupid and, and on my part for sure. Um, and there was a link to some sort of, uh, you know, ministers talking about this or that. And, and mm. I, I hate the, the, the scorn that's dripping out of my, my tone and even saying that. But so I was like, okay, let's, let's see what these guys have to say. A bunch of white dudes here. And <laughs> speaking as two white dudes on mics and <laughs> within minutes read, no, my God, less than minutes. One of them referenced, uh, was, was naming the plague, the problems of our American society and used the phrase, which I had, which I was unfamiliar with. Call me ignorant. Um, use the phrase in it to, to shut off, to set fire to, um, sodomite rights. And I just turned it off. I was like, wow. F you. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and I'll say this, this is, this is from me, uh, from this horse's mouth. Like, if it is hard, it's hard not to do this because we're indoctrinated against it or, or we're indoctrinated to it. We are acculturated to subtly uh, and not so subtly sometimes uh, uh, draw lines and consider the other. But if, if, if one would be so bold as to so demonstrably, so explicitly draw lines between uh, the in and the out they don't know Jesus and need to be saved. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. don't know how much more clear to be that this is it it it, it may be biblical, <laughs> but it's not Jesus. Yeah, it's not Christ like. Um, yeah. And and I just I don't know that uh, to circle it back to the movie lest I 
find other, you know, uh, horses to run on here is, <laughs> is it was a twinge of moment. However, misguided the total production was watching this kid aligned with this group destroy and not heed cries for help. Like, and that question popped into my spirit was what does it take to, to decide the humanity long, the humanity expressed in agony and pain and desperation and longing is, is able to be ignored. What, what, what yeah. prompts us to do that? And, and that's a thing we need to repent of deeply and greatly. So amen to that. The wicker folk. So, um, I still hate this movie, but I am, <laughs> but I am okay. great, but I am grateful for this conversation. Um, and that's all uh, I wanted. Yeah. And I do, you know, yeah, we can, we can go to the fog meter. Cause I do think, I think in a lot of ways, um, you know, sort of my final button on it, like, you know, at the, like the narrative at its core is going to have some version of this kind of, uh, in the same way that basically any movie about vampires, you can begin to unpack the concept of what a vampire is, and you're going to find things there because it's mm-hmm. it's in the DNA. Of... Like vampires kiss. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> um, but the you know the, the, that doesn't necessarily mean again that they that they successfully executed what they probably set out to do. But um, but yeah, so. So the fog meter is our uh, (laughs) unique metric by which we measure the films we cover on uh, fear, how scary a thing is, and God, how substantive a thing is. Uh, I will start with fear. This is not a scary movie. Um, I'll I'll give it a I'll give it a two for effort. (laughs) I give it a two because there's two Wicker Man movies. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm going to give it one because there's one Nicolas Cage in it. And I will say that, like, (laughs) look. I've said it before. I'll say it, you know, much more directly now. I actively enjoy watching Nicolas Cage, and not just because I like the guy, um, because I was, you know, I was pretty dully bored through Ghost Rider. But I actively enjoy watching him when he's doing his thing. And a couple of times in this, he's really genuinely interesting to watch. So, um, so yeah, one for me on that. On the God meter for myself, I came ready and loaded to give it a zero. Like full bore zero. You have talked me into a one hmm. because whatever intention they had behind it—that's not going life, giving, changing yes. hearts and minds. Yes. So I'm giving it. I'm giving it that. I'm giving it that credit as like okay, sure. And it's also because of how I'm framed and because of my personality. I want to you know say like oh good you know you, you tried you tried there. Um, but no, there's not, there's not a lot to this film. So yeah, one for me, what would you give it? Um, well to your vampire analogy, I think baked into the conceit itself is at least a smidge of substance. Um, however poorly they truly interrogate it. I do think there's value to the gender dichotomy. They try to establish in this one as the primary conflict. Uh, so I'm gonna give it a three. Um, okay. which doesn't actually feel overly generous. It just feels generous. Yeah. Yeah. You're a generous person <laughs> and I appreciate Thank it. You. Um, so that means that we give the wicker man, uh, adapted. It sounded like you said, Twicker man. 
<laughs> so that means that we give uh, the Wicker Man this version from 2006, uh, adapted and directed by Neil Labute. Uh, we give it a two out of ten on the uh, fog meter, uh, which feels generous. So uh, there's that. Would you recommend people watch this movie? I love how my octaves just like. Would you recommend? <laughs> Um, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen that is a callback to the patron segment that uh, you can easily get in on Um, (laughs) thank you to those of you who have recently joined patreon for us Um, I don't I don't think it's garbage I don't uh, I I, I don't uh, uh, with great fervor recommend it either Um, Mm. I think if you're on a cage kick it's a decent box to check knowing that there's not, it's pretty flimsy. Um, but you know, if, if, if watching cage is how you get your kicks, go for it. If watching cage is how you get your kicks, he has 99 <laughs> other feature films that also do some great things. Mm. Mm. Okay. Mm. <laughs> now you're just being mean. Now you're punching down. <laughs> now I'm punching down. Now I'm punching down. <laughs> Because Jesus left the 99 to go get the one, Reed. Oh, so, he did. <laughs> he did. He, he left. He left all those films to go watch The Wicker Man. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so uh, if it's not apparent to anybody uh, already, I don't recommend this film. Now, what I will say sincerely, and, and not trying to just be mean, uh, this is for cage completists only. Like, this... That, the that's only, fair. I, I, yeah, the yeah, only lest reason it sound like I was recommending it, I <laughs> yeah. that is what I'll get behind. Yes, that um, like this is only for the people who are like, I love Nick Cage enough that I want to watch all hundred of his starring films. No problem. This is on the list. You can check it off. It's it's uh, widely available, and so um, so yeah, that not only concludes this conversation, that concludes our series on Nicolas Cage. I've had fun. I've really enjoyed this. I I good. feel like. I feel like I've made a new friend who doesn't know me because like I've really come into a great amount of fondness for Nicolas Cage that going into the series, preparing for it, I felt it rising and with the films we've watched and with the interviews I've read and even just the scouring of clips on YouTube and everything like that. Like I, I, I really like the guy. I will be actively it's, seeking out some of his other material. It's kind of like, uh, you know, Robin fell to his pig. Like, so is you you don't need Nick Cage to be in great movies. You just love him. You I just know, love him. Yeah, I just love him. You know? <laughs> and I want to rescue him. <laughs> I want to uh, and I'm okay, excited. It's to gonna see it's gonna fall apart. It's all pretty soon, you know, you're cooking him in a beef broth and it's just wow. not gonna work. No, yeah, it's just like, yeah. yeah. No, I wasn't going no. that far. Um so that puts the cage series to rest. Uncaged. We're gonna put cage back in the cage. You know, that's mm, no, that, you can't that, that, put cage in a cage. Like nobody puts baby in a corner. Nobody puts, nobody puts in a cage, cage in a cage. Um, so next week we are going to be beginning a brand new series. Um, What's it called? That is also voted on the patrons called hashtag Scare Tunes. Scare Tunes. Scare Tunes. I love it. It's not cartoons. We should have done like Scooby Doo or something. Like you know, the, the mystery it was machine. On the, it was on there. Uh, Sc- Scooby Doo on Zombie Island was one of the selections that uh, patrons could vote for. It did not get very one. many uh, votes. Sure. Scooby Doo sure. on Zombie Island is notable because, to my knowledge, it's the only one. 
it's probably not the only only one, but it is the most prominent one where the monsters they are trying to escape from and you know uh you know sort of solve the whole thing are not adults in a costume they are actually zombies on the Whoa. island and so yeah Zoinks? <laughs> so um <laughs> but no we are not covering scooby-doo on this series but we are going to be okay. covering some other cool things um so i feel like uh our films are going to kind of start pretty mild and they're going to get a little bit more graphic probably as we go that's the trend that i see our schedule going but we'll start next week with a film that admittedly is not very horror although it does have witches and no-faced monsters who eat people and so and despite all of that it's a remarkably lovely film we are going next week to miyazaki's i will use the word masterpiece about this one miyazaki's masterpiece there you go spirited away that is going to be yes that is going to be the first film in our series of scare tunes um so yes uh, and oh and thank you and we are also going to be starting a TV guide posts for the patrons. They can follow along with us along the way. Um, if you're not a patron, you can become a patron uh, to, to follow along with us in this journey episode by episode. But we're also going to be covering the first two seasons of Netflix's animated series, Castlevania. So uh, it is a four-season show, but there's just not enough time, and, and we didn't want to kind of devote too much or cram a bunch of narrative into tighter conversations. So we're covering the first two seasons. It's like 12 episodes. So check out episodes one and two of Netflix's Castlevania and Miyazaki's Spirited Away from 2001 for next week as we launch into our series on hashtag scare tunes. And as we say on every Love episode... It. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. We'll see you next week, Amen. everybody. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. Start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for links to our social media, essays, and episode archive merchandise and more. If you love what we do, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash thefearofgodpodcast. There you'll unlock exclusive bonus episodes, extended standard episodes, online event access, and so much more. We want to issue a special thanks to Jacob Hunt of tracermatula.com for our artwork, also to our assortment of talented musicians, including Andrew Nelson, The Island Family, and Jackson Harper for our varied show tunes, and also to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music. Special thanks also to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through Apple Podcasts, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, everybody.